Welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. In the spirit of fun, creative intros, I resisted the urge to hum the Indiana Jones theme (laughs) for today's episode. (laughs) See, I really wanted to do that too. One of these days, we're just going to have to do it and (laughs) it'll be wonderful. We'll end our episode. Ooh, yeah. Yes. We'll end with a bang. Yeah, and we'll ride our horses off into the orange sunset and our silhouette with our cowboy hat on and our whip. It'll be fantastic. So picturesque. (laughs) It'll be great. Awesome. So today we are reviewing Indiana Jones. Which one are we reviewing, Sarah? We are reviewing Raiders. It's the best. (laughs) It's also known as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. And fun fact, it's the only Indiana Jones movie that doesn't have Indiana Jones in the title. Oh, interesting. Do you know why that is? Maybe they didn't uh, plan for? Yeah, that's my guess, is that it was kind of a, a one-off, and then when it became a series, then they brought the Indiana Jones in. Interesting. So kind of similar to how Star Wars will do, like, the Rogue One, colon, a Star Wars story, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> For marketing purposes, this is a Star Wars film. (laughs) Therefore, you now will see it. (laughs) Something like that. You know, George Lucas knows what he's doing when it comes to that kind of stuff. So just keep on keeping on, buddy. (laughs) All right. So what's really interesting is that Sarah and I's viewing experience of Indiana Jones this time around was super different. I had never seen... Indiana Jones before two days ago. I know. (laughs) I'm late to the game. It's a classic. It was on my list of films to watch. Just never got around to it. So this is the first time that I had seen Indiana Jones. So all of my reactions are aglow with the the fresh, wide-eyed, hard-eyes view of this film. (laughs) And I have loved Indiana Jones since I was a kid. Um, I grew up watching these movies. I watched them all the time. I wanted to go on all of these adventures and find artifacts and the whole thing. However, I hadn't seen uh, Raiders for well over a decade. So even though I've seen it a bunch of times, uh, there were certain parts that I didn't quite remember and that I started to get mixed up with some of the other films too. Mm. So my viewing experience was very nostalgic, but also like remembering things and like, oh yeah, then this happens next. And oh yeah, that guy. So it was really fun to watch it again after not seeing it for so long. How does this film do on repeat viewings? I'm actually really curious about that. Oh, it's great. It's so fun. Like it's, uh, you, you see more, you, uh, enjoy more of Harrison Ford's just outbursts and his little quips and stuff. And to me, it gets more fun the more that you watch Mm. it. That is awesome. Yeah. I, I, I'm always curious how an action film will age and how it does with repeat viewings because oftentimes the main driving force is 
the tension or the action shots. And so the second time around sometimes is not as satisfying, but I think, and we'll get, we'll touch on this later, but I think this film has the action so rooted in the character of Indiana Jones that just getting to spend more time with him like time and time again and revisit his world must be exciting enough that the second, third, fourth, I don't even know how many times you've seen it, Sarah, but 50th time is still exciting to be back in the world. Yeah, it's definitely a fun one. And for me, because it's more than just an action film, it's really an adventure. And so to go on this adventure with these characters uh, is more fun, in my opinion, than a lot of other action films are. Mm, Yeah. So one of the things that we'll kind of unpack later is comparing and contrasting this film as an action film with some of the current, more modern action films that we've seen recently. And so I think that'll be fun to unpack. But I wanted to mention before we kind of dive in that one of the things that I was thinking about throughout several parts of this film is the last time I went to Disneyland and there was the Indiana Jones ride, which I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to ride it. But the whole time watching this film, I just kept thinking about how the next time I go to Disneyland, I am so going to want to ride the Indiana Jones ride because getting to go through this like underground, you know, tunnel and experience the world in like a more immersive experience way would be so freaking cool that I'm like excited for the next time I get to go to Disneyland and ride the ride. Yes, it's so fun. Granted, the last time I was on that ride was <laughs> many, many moons ago. But I just, I remember being so freaked out by the boulder, even though I mm. knew what was going to happen and I knew that I was going to be okay. I Oh, the boulder got me every time <laughs> that I rode it when I was in like elementary school and then in middle school. But yeah, it's a lot of fun because then you'll be able to go like, oh, hey, that was in the movie and that mm-hmm. was in the movie. Uh, yes. yes. Exactly. And this film is the perfect film to convert into an amusement park ride. Like there's so much that they can do. So there is a lot to unpack uh, from this film. Uh, Where do we want to start? Do we want to start with the way that this action film chooses to do its action sequences and kind of look at how that's related to today's? Should we start there? Do we first want to do an IMDb summary, even though this came out so long ago? Oh my goodness, I almost forgot our tradition. Hey, it's all good. It's just just for consistency's sake. (laughs) Thank you for keeping us on track. This one is real quick. It's one sentence and then we can dive in. Okay. In 1936, archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf Hitler's Nazis can obtain its awesome powers. (laughs) Its awesome powers is such an understatement. (laughs) I know, right? For what actually happens in the film. (laughs) Sucks people's faces off. It's fine. You know, like melts their entire face off. (laughs) Blows up their head. You know, just... (laughs) Slightly Just awesome a normal powers. day. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for keeping us on track with the IMDb summary. This is why. You know, we, we got to be consistent. Appreciate it. 
Awesome. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> let's dive into the way that Spielberg does action and how that's different or similar to how action movies are today. What are your thoughts? Oh, Spielberg is just incredible. Can we just begin there? Like, the man is masterful. He took the time to hone his craft, and no wonder he is one of the greatest directors of all time. Like, absolutely brilliant. And one of my favorite things about uh, this movie in particular is how even though there's a lot of tension and drama and action going on, it doesn't get heavy at all. It's still lighthearted. It's this really cool adventure. There's a lot of really good little comedy pieces. Harrison Ford really gets to shine in this. Like Everything comes together in such a beautiful way that it really is a joy to watch, which for a lot of action movies, especially today, they get so dark and so heavy and it's mired in this like uh, like good versus evil and, and it can quickly go really, really dark. And this one, nope. Even though they're searching for the Ark of the Covenant, there's Nazis involved, it still is a lighthearted, comedic, action adventure mm-hmm. yeah and they it, this film deals with a lot of pretty heavy themes as well we'll touch yeah. on that later but i mean the nazi theme the religious themes the you know the the way that they've chosen all these different places to shoot in that you know are um taking indiana very far from the u.s like some heavy stuff and it still remains lighthearted without being dumb and crude as well which I really really appreciated yeah and there's like 60 or so deaths in this film (laughs) and it doesn't feel that way even though like Indiana is going and just like slaughtering people left and right but it doesn't feel like oh my gosh we have an issue going on it's like oh yeah that's fine (laughs) yeah he's having a great time it's okay yeah yeah totally One thing that I was just so pleasantly surprised by is how much I enjoyed this action film. I kind of went into it thinking it was going to be a decently fun film. Um, You know, I think most action films are always exhilarating and get the adrenaline pumping. But this film did it in a way that really was set apart from a lot of the other action films that come to mind initially um so like the bond films and the fast and furious films and the superhero films like there's something so different and raw about this action film um that i i kept asking myself as i was watching this like what is it about this one that is makes makes it so set apart in my mind and i have a couple theories but i'm curious what your thoughts are and if you Notice that this this time around watching the film, having seen many of the other more current action films and um, how that maybe was different from your experiences watching it growing up as a kid. Like, did you notice some of the similar things or feel a similar thing? 
I think for me, the biggest thing that separates Raiders and the subsequent Indiana franchise from other action franchises is the protagonist. Mm. The character of Indiana Jones is so different than our normal male action protagonist that I think that's what makes it more enjoyable, at least for me. Um, because he's, he's not this macho guy. Like he's, he is very capable and he's an adventurer and he can like handle himself, but he's also all about the artifact. Like he's not in it for his own ego. He wants that precious thing to end up in a museum so that it can be like treasured by other people. He doesn't want it to end up in, you know, other people's hands. He's, he's about the work and he's also well-educated, which I think is something that even if our other male action protagonists have, they might not lean on it in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, so like with, with James Bond, he's obviously well-educated. He's a very intelligent human being, but it, it kind of goes more towards like the arrogance side But somehow Harrison Ford was able to play it where you know that he's smart and he's capable, but it doesn't come off as arrogant as some of these other guys. And I think the fact that Harrison Ford in this movie isn't like a, he's not a womanizer. He's not out like playing the ladies. Like he's, he's really just there to have a good adventure and it just makes it so much more fun. Mm, interesting. So there's a element of his humility that makes him more exciting to follow and make you root for him and invest in him differently than some of our other protagonists in action films. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't feel like, like with some of the other um, protagonists, like one of their downfalls is kind of being a jerk or being... Um, you know, a womanizer, like these other really unflattering things, but you know that he's a protagonist, so you have to like him. Mm-hmm. And Indiana Jones, while he has a lot of faults, he is a much more likable character to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I also wonder if, along that same vein, if the, if the fact that he is this professor of archaeology makes him seem more accessible to us and a little bit more like us than, say, a British spy or an entirely <laughs> fantastical superhero. <laughs> like, there's there's a smaller gap that we have to hop over to be able to relate to him than some of the other protagonists in a lot of action films. And I think... Something as small as, uh, I hate snakes. Like, that's something (laughs) that cracks me up every time. Because if you really, really think about it, he's in the worst possible profession for somebody who hates snakes. Like, you're going out into the desert and you're digging in the dirt for these artifacts. Where do the snakes live? In the desert, in the dirt. Like, you're going to run across them. Why did you choose this profession? Which just makes me love him even more. I'm like, you are so intelligent, but you're so dumb at the same time. You did not think this profession through and you chose it. 
but that's okay. He's doing it anyway. It's great. <laughs> I love the scene where he's flying in the plane and he discovers the snake in his lap and he yeah. freaks the heck out. But it was such a great comedic moment that also served as a setup for the later scene when he has to descend into this um, pit of snakes. And it was such a great moment where we were entertained and yet we were also set up for a payoff later on. And that's just, that's good writing. Mm -hmm. Good job, guys. (laughs) I think what while we're on the topic of Indiana Jones as a character, I think what also makes him really attractive and appealing to us is the fact that he is so damn persistent. Like he has this tenacity that is also larger than life and kind of what we as audiences want to aspire to. Like this guy does not give up and he continuously uses his cunning and his ability to observe his environments to wiggle his way out of things. But I think that quality of him is something that maybe we can't relate to, but we appreciate and want to aspire to and respect him for that. And it makes him appealing to us as an audience. At least for me, I was like, this guy just refuses to give up. And every time, um, I can't remember his name, but every time the guy's like, ugh, Jones I know it's him he's somehow I thought I got him beaten down but once again he's risen up and is a pain in the ass (laughs) which is such an American thing like it's this like David versus Goliath like (laughs) you can't get me down or like what is it like Paul Bunyan versus the machine or those two different stories I don't know Whatever. Anyway, (laughs) the guy that, like, laid the railroad versus, like, the machine or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, it's such, like, this, like, deeply rooted thing in us where we're like, yeah, we're going to do it. We can face the odds. We're just going to keep going. We're going to nail this. So don't tell me no. I'm going to prove you wrong. And he (laughs) just embodies that in such an interesting way. And I'm like, I can't, I can't even be mad at you. Come on. Just just win. It's great. <laughs> Just keep going. Yes, yeah. So another aspect of this action film and how it compares amongst many of the others that I've seen personally is that I so much appreciated that there is a rawness to the way that they filmed all of the action sequences. I had to consistently remind myself that this was shot in 1981. And so much of what's happening on screen is what is actually happening, whether it's a stunt double or some kind of um, trick of the eye or something, but this is all not computer generated. And one of the things that gets to me when I'm watching action films today is I just think to myself like, wow, this is some really great computer technology. This is awesome. We have advanced as a society to the point where we can create these really intense spectacles with computers, but also, gosh, it's just computers. Like this is not actually happening. So I think that's also something that I really loved getting to see in this film is the rawness of the action sequences and just knowing that they had to be highly creative or very daring to create a lot of these scenes. 
And that's why I love watching older action movies, because then I know they're relying on actual special effects or Mm -hmm. people are actually doing this as opposed to just some computer generated thing, which is really cool. But I would rather watch people doing stuff or how are they going to trick us into believing that this thing actually happened? Like, it's so, it's so cool when you start digging into how they did some things. And I'm like, you people were crazy, Mm -hmm. but it works. And I think that that innovation in filmmaking to go, we're going to take this impossible situation and we're going to bring it to life with the uh, technology that we have is, I mean, good job, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something that when I first began to dive into this world of film was something that captivated me so much is that there is this element of magic to it where, gosh, we don't have any ways to show this or throwing a body off a train. I'm thinking about that um, uh, that old film where they there was this, it was one of the first action sequences that was shot on film and they were um, dueling on a train and this guy throws the other guy off, but they actually threw like this made doll to throw off and they put a cut in there just to like make that happen. Anyway, all this to say is one of the things that I initially was so captivated by this world of film is how they were all magicians in a way. And I think that with the rise of computer technology, we're able to do a lot more in a different medium. Like we're able to be creative in a new medium. But I, I, there's something so special about the past and how much people could do with so little um, back in the 80s and the use of puppets and miniature models and painted backgrounds and um, the way that the shots were constructed to trick the eye. It was so fun to read all of the behind the scenes of this film afterwards that I think watching a, say, Marvel film and reading up on the computer technology, it's just, there's something different about it. We're just in a new age and a new era and that's fine. But I so much loved getting to read all about the behind the scenes special effects and was captivated by it. Like, they, for the boulder scene, for example, they use a Honda Civic in neutral going down the highway in Beverly Hills to create a lot of those sound effects. Or for the worms, not the worms, the snakes, sorry. They used fingers going through cheesecake and recorded that for those pieces. Like, oh, it was such a joy to get to read about the behind the scenes for this film. And can you just imagine how long it took, like, the sound team to come up with some of that stuff? Like, just, I, and the the boulder thing was kind of by accident. Like, mm-hmm. they, they tried a whole bunch of other things and nothing sounded right. And then they were driving in a Honda Civic and one of them was like, wait, that's the noise that we need. <laughs> yes. And, like, began recording it. Like, that's just so, that's so cool. Yes. Just how they were... They were constantly on the lookout to make everything perfect. And even 
you know, the sounds had to be spot on. And that attention to detail is just, it's so appreciated because mm-hmm. it's really in the little things. That's what makes movies like this so special. Yeah. And it, it makes sense why they don't do that today, right? Like, yeah, we come back to this theme often, but I mean, it's, it's just so much a part of the movie making industry is that it's ultimately a capitalist engine. So if we can get the costs down lower and instead of shooting a scene where there requires a large crowd and hiring all of these extras, let's create it with CGI, then heck yeah, we'll make some more money off of it. Um, but this just reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've seen the fall of the Roman empire, but it was one of the most expensive films in its time because they rebuilt the entire Roman forum to shoot that film. And it was so expensive, all of the set design to just create that, that, um, it was a huge spectacle to see. And it's, it's kind of remembered as a film that was was just nutso as far as the dedication to creating everything true to life. But um, I guess all that to say is it's understandable why we don't do it that way. Yep, that it makes sense. Makes I get sense. it. I just, I still appreciate when people don't rely on CGI or they're mm-hmm. able to combine special effects with, CGI um, mm. instead of just completely relying on the the computer generated stuff but yeah. I get it it's the times that we live in yep ultimately its goal is to make some money so another thing that I wanted to touch on before we move on is the way that Spielberg shot a lot of the action beats throughout this film he really has the audience focus on a particular focal point that's in the shot or part of the setting that this scene is taking place in to create a lot of the tension. So instead of using, um, for example, lots of spectacle and violence or fast cutting, or which he uses all of those things, but there's this added bit of tension that he places in a scene that I think was just contributed so much. So for example, in the scene where they're in Marion's bar and we meet her for the first time, the the fact that we as the audience know where that medallion is located and it's just like seeing the medallion being burned up in the flames and being knocked over, like it it that object was almost a character in the scene. Um, the other one scene that I'm thinking about is when Marion's hidden in the basket and she's getting carried away. And then Indiana's trying to follow the basket and we just emerge into this scene where there's just a billion baskets and he's in a crowd. And that object plays such a significant role in adding tension to the scene that I just thought was so unique. And, um, I think we see we see that in films. Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but though how much he's able to use that and leverage that and harness that tension with solely an object, I thought was fantastic. 
he really does show the audience instead of tell the audience. Mm -hmm. And that just makes for a more powerful film, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing that I love about this movie in particular, but they do it also throughout the franchise is those, um, those scenes when you just see somebody's shadow and how it automatically creates tension and intrigue. And you're like, Oh, who is that? What's going to happen? Like there's something so, uh, mysterious about a shadowy figure. And so you just want to know what's going to happen. And, because of his classic whip and his cowboy yep. hat, like it's just <laughs> it's iconic. So good. We just know, yes, yeah, that was really well done as well. Can we talk about the opening sequence? Because I think it it's along the same vein of the the creation of mystery, where the first couple of shots where we see Indiana but we don't see his face was so yes. awesome to build the tension, like. The first face I think we see in this film is, I don't remember his name, but it's his friend that he goes into the, go to retrieve the idol with who betrays him. I don't remember mm-hmm. his Yeah, name. Alfred Molina. Yes, precisely. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking that exact name. No, see, I knew that you were. I'm just helping you out here. Yes. <laughs> just needed a little prompting. <laughs> yeah, and we just see... Indiana in the shot from like his chest down and we don't see him until a couple shots later. It reminds me of the beginning of Casablanca where we also, we as the audience see this protagonist, but we don't get to see him, see him until a few shots later. And so it really builds the mystery of like, who is this guy? He's important, but we don't know much about him yet, and he's still not unveiled to us yet. Yeah, and it just, it shows um, he's he's such a complex character. Like, you can't just have him come out and, oh, here I am, I'm Indiana <laughs> Jones. Like, you need to build that intrigue because intrigue just surrounds him. He's a very interesting and mysterious kind of guy so that was the perfect opening for a character like that that reminds me did you watch the prequel to this film because there's a lot of connections and parallels here between Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones Harrison Ford as Han Solo they're both these mysterious guys oh let's make a prequel and really ruin it so how is the prequel I haven't seen it yet there's a prequel? There's a prequel. What? Yeah. What is this? <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Was that... Was the prequel the movie that I pretend Temple doesn't exist? Temple of Doom. Oh, I hate yeah. Temple of Doom. It's yeah, the Temple worst. Of Doom. It's the one that happens before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Temple of Doom is the movie that I pretend does not exist, so... Well, you're very successful at it. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, this this movie is not a thing. Okay. Uh, I am... Oh, God. I... Nope, I can't watch it. It's It just 
annoys me to no end because you have the the kid from Goonies who was great in Goonies loved him in that movie and then he's in this and annoys me to no end and then you got the girl who is absolutely useless does literally nothing other than just yell and scream the whole time like I can't I can't with this movie (laughs) I will have to say your desire to pretend this film doesn't exist has proven to be wildly successful. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I, I ask is because um, when his relationship with Marion is revealed, I thought to myself, hmm, there's some history there. Like, I wonder what happened. But not enough to want a whole movie to explain what happened or why Indiana's an archaeology professor or wh- how he met her. Like, I don't. I don't care enough, but I did think to myself those questions um, and wonder about, like, who is this guy and how did he get here and why does he know her? Yeah, she is the daughter of his mentor. And, like, they had a little, like, thing Flame. together. Um, and then, like, his mentor died. Uh yeah, it's it's something like that. They talk about it in uh in Raiders briefly. Mhm. Yeah, that's I think that's about as much as you get. Okay. Unless they tell you more in the other Indiana Jones movie that I pretend doesn't exist. Mm. Uh but I don't think that they give you more in the 2008 one either. Yeah. Well, good. We don't need to know. Nope. You really don't. And that's what I that's what I really appreciate about movies like this is they give you what you need to know and no more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, yeah, that's all I needed to know. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So we mentioned Marion. Let's talk about her character and the role she plays, her as a female counterpart to Indiana in this. What what were your thoughts of Marion as a character and the role she plays? So I I struggled uh with her in this viewing. Um <laughs> I I didn't remember her being as annoying as she is. Uh <laughs> I remember her being like helpful and beating people up and useful and not (laughs) constantly screaming for Indiana Jones to save her. And so then coming in and watching this, I'm like, who the heck are you, girl? You can't do anything for yourself. What is wrong with you? She is useful, though. We got to give the girl that. She does have her moments when Indiana Jones is not in the frame. (laughs) And then once he's there, though, she's just like, oh, save me. I don't know what to do. (laughs) And so that was just endlessly frustrating to me. Um, I wish that she was a little bit more uh, badass than she is in this film. But I think as as a plot device, she's very... She's very helpful. She fulfills her role. And uh, you see this other side of Indiana that I think is 
is good. You see this like protective side and um, you know that there's like a weird history there between them, but you know, she's the love interest. So here we go. Um, but yeah, I was just annoyed with her more than anything else. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking about this film without her in it and I think it would not be as effective for Indiana as a character without her like she she plays an important role for us as the viewer to see his softer side his like you said his protective side um she definitely helps push the plot forward that's for sure she sure (laughs) does Um, and the woman can drink good lord yeah, and she, she, I appreciated her most in the scene where she was trying to escape and she wants to trick the guy into getting him drunk and letting him think that she is wasted. And it's like, you know what, girl, you got some strategy going on. This is good. Yeah, she's using her superpowers for good. <laughs> All right, so there are some themes that are in this film that we referenced earlier some pretty heavy themes which they somehow managed to make more lighthearted. but there's religious themes there's the theme of the nazis as the villains and i think the third one that i really noticed was all of the locations and places that indiana's journey takes him on has very interesting portrayals of those particular countries and places. So which one do we want to tackle first? Um, I vote with number three. Okay. Uh, particularly um, the casting of Jonathan Rice Davies as Sala, who is a Arab possibly Muslim man, uh, played by a white English actor. (laughs) As a child, I was not struck by this. This did not feel odd. But now, as a grown adult, I'm going, hmm, why is that your choice? (laughs) Well, I presume that Hollywood back in the day was probably not as diverse as it is today, so... This is fair. But, yes, I see your point. (laughs) (laughs) Like, man, I just, I couldn't get over it. I was so excited when I saw his name in the credits, and I was like, oh my gosh, what character do you play in this? And then he popped up, and I went, oh. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay. Um, But, yeah, I think I... I appreciate their attempt to be inclusive and to show (laughs) culture. Um, However, it's not the best. You know, I would have to agree. Uh, I think the portrayals of, from the opening sequence, the of Peru and then being in the Peruvian jungle and having those characters portrayed that way that are these like savages that can't speak and are shooting arrows and they're not clothed. Like, oh, it's a little, 
little rough to watch. And then the yeah. portrayal of Indiana's adventures through, um, I think, what is supposed to be Egypt, right? Yeah. Was also a little rough. Like, yeah. Uh, this would not fly in today's very highly politicized and very charged culture. So, um, but again, this film was created in 1981. Like a lot of the same standards and sensitivities that we have today probably were not as charged as they are today back then. Nope. They were just concerned about making a good action movie, uh, that made them some money Mm -hmm. and they succeeded. Yeah. But one of the things that I was thinking about as I was watching this and kind of noticing these portrayals is we indeed learn a lot about other cultures and places from the media. I mean, for a lot of folks in the 80s that did not have the opportunity to travel to these countries or may not have taken the time or effort to learn about them or just have never come across a lot of the cultural norms from those countries, like this may be one of the few portrayals or um, depictions of those countries. And that's a little rough. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, not, not a great portrayal. No, but it's interesting to see how we are in today's films very hyper aware to the point where we will just add in certain characters to be inclusive or to make it diverse. And some people have qualms with that, understandably, but um, we're very much being far more aware of that. And it's definitely a topic that's talked about. So um, we're progressing in the right direction, but hopefully we don't become overly politicized. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just a matter of of balance, you yeah. know, like like everything else. Like we need to be inclusive and diverse and show show different cultures as they are, not some stereotype or some whitewashed version that they did in this film, but actually mm-hmm. showing like no, this is what it looks like or you know, you can have this diverse cast of characters that makes sense. You don't have to randomly insert like a token of a particular race, which is kind of how I felt in Raiders when the when the um, boat captain showed up and he mm-hmm. was black, and I was like, "Oh, is that your token black character?" Like, yeah, that was that was my first thought, and I was like, "Oh, that's probably a bad first thought," but yeah. I mean, so I think it's. It's all about that balance. It needs to work for the film. It needs to be representative of whatever time period or setting, you know, the film takes place in uh, and not feel forced, but Mm -hmm. also not feel like anybody's being excluded either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how films from previous decades will age (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I can see how this this is one of those uh components of the film that doesn't age very well 
Um, yeah. I jotted down this quote because it was super jarring to me when I heard it. But it's during the scene where they're in Egypt and Marion's getting kidnapped and captured. And she says, quote, you can't do this to me. I'm an American. And I was like, oh, that's not going to age very well. Nope. nope. <laughs> sure isn't. Oh, man. So let's touch on briefly the Nazi theme. I don't think there's a, a whole lot to talk about, but I just thought to myself when it was revealed that they were going to be the villains of this film, I was like, ah, another film where the Nazis are the villains. All right, let's add that to the rest of the collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, if you watch uh, Last Crusade, they're also the villains in that movie too. Oh, so just just get ready. Uh Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's such, they're such easy villains, you know, <laughs> like you see, you see the swastikas and you go, Ooh, yeah, those are bad guys. We don't like them. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, it's an easy villain. Mm-hmm. And for, for a movie like this, where it's all about Indiana and he's, he's not concerned about the Nazis. He's concerned about the Ark of the Covenant. You need, um, a bad guy like that. Because you can't, you don't have time to explain their rivalry and why he's going up against them. But it's like, oh, Nazis bad. Okay, boop. Let's focus on the adventure. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, it's almost like a easy way to create a clear villain without needing to do a lot of the um, setting up of their the villain's motives and like. For example, in Infinity War, like why, or in the Marvel Universe, like why is Thanos trying to blast off 50% of the Earth? Like maybe there's less setup that needs to be done. So it's an easy just like pop in, pop in the villain. Um, That's an interesting way of thinking about it. I didn't think about it that way, but I can totally see that. Yeah, that's the way that I've, that I see it just, yep. Okay. (laughs) Let's move on. All right, back to the adventure. Yes, yeah, (laughs) back to the action. What I was thinking about when I when it was revealed that the Nazis were to be the villains in this film is it's it'd be really interesting to look at some of the films that have come out in more modern times and um, the the common themes or the central conflicts that are running throughout our films today are a lot more about like reconciliation across groups of people that are very different and things that are so relevant to our modern times and you know films that came out in the 80s or films that came out in the 20s like the the themes that are kind of being distilled as these central themes in a lot of films are going to be so different and will change so much throughout each generation and each decade as the political culture and the central conflicts of our times evolves and changes as well. So it's interesting and cool to see the way the film reflects the times that are relevant and present for the viewers. Yeah, there wasn't this this need to have um, a moral ambiguity moment yeah. <laughs> in uh, movies from the 80s. Uh, that was a much more rare thing. So it was just kind of like, oh, they're the bad guys. Here's our hero. Voila, we got a movie. But now, you know, we live in shades of gray. So 
our our or our antagonists need to have some really redeeming qualities and our protagonists need to have these you know really really dark flaws um at least that's the way that a lot of them are made today which mm-hmm. i think is sometimes when it's done really really well it makes for a lot more interesting movie mhm yeah Definitely agree. I mean, we recently reviewed How to Train Your Dragon, and even in a children's film, they're talking about reconciliation across um, groups that don't understand each other. And so it's littered throughout so many that are coming out today. It's interesting. And I think one more important thing to talk about when talking about the whole Nazi uh, situation in this movie is that they were after a Jewish artifact. And just the irony of it all, according to IMDb, uh, the last line added to the script was that phrase, I am uncomfortable with this Jewish ritual, uh, because the screenwriters realized that there was no mention of Jews or Nazis' hatred of them after reading through the script. So they had to Mm. add that in there just to address this giant... Uh, ironic <laughs> part of the plot <laughs> you know the elephant in the room <laughs> yeah you need mm. to address it and go hmm, guys do you do you see what's going on here <laughs> yeah interesting yeah that's super cool well that's a perfect segue into kind of the third big theme that's running throughout this film which is the fact that they chose to create a film about the Ark of the Covenant just reminded me so much of that scene from Hail Caesar where he wants to make a film, (laughs) a Ben-Hur-esque film, and he has to consult these many different religious leaders to see how to portray it. And I just had such a throwback to that scene and just kind of chuckled to myself. Um, But, you know, his portrayal of the Ark of the Covenant and, you know, that ending scene especially is really interesting. And I, I'm curious if there was any backlash or commentary about that or if we, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was as um, sensitive of a topic to have shot in that way. But that was a really interesting choice to me. Yeah, I thought so too, Um, especially since between the last time I saw it and now, I actually have read those parts of the Bible that talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. And so I was watching the whole time just going, did any of you guys actually read any of that? Like, it's it's a little different than y'all portrayed it. It's fine, but... uh, you took some creative liberties there, guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, even just the the Nazis like picking up the ark and touching it or Indiana yeah. touching it. It's like that's in in the Bible very different things would happen. Like the God would have sh- struck you dead. But I I don't know enough about the reception of that part of this film to be able to definitively say, but I was that was one thing that I was curious about watching this film is like, gosh, I wonder how this was received. And if there were any critics that 
were very much against the fact that they chose to tackle this and then depict it in this way. Yeah, I I did think that it was an odd choice, and I'm not sure how that part of it was received. I think my my guess is that it probably wasn't that big of a deal because it's mm-hmm. probably two separate circles of people. The the ones who are probably more familiar with the Ark of the Covenant might not be the same ones who would see Raiders mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. But um, yeah, I thought it was such an interesting concept for the story yeah. to pick to pick that as the thing that you're going after and uh it's at the behest of the u.s government going against yes. the nazi regime like it's <laughs> it's so fantastical and i i'm just amazed that that the writers came up with that as their central plot point and especially the U.S. government talking about like, oh, but the power of God and do you know what this means? And it's like, of all things, we could have chosen to be this powerful artifact to be going after. Did it, did it, did it have to be the Ark of the Covenant? Like, I don't know. If I was the writer, I might have chosen something a little bit less uh, sensitive of a topic that could be interpreted wrongly, but... I don't know. Um, maybe the climate at the time they felt wouldn't be, wouldn't find it as offensive as maybe we're just hypersensitive here in the 2019 era. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thought. Like I can't imagine anybody making a movie like this today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> You would have moms on Pinterest, like, boycotting the movies and, like, would end up shutting it down somehow. Like, mm-hmm. it just, it wouldn't happen. So, man, it, it's really such a bold choice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was thinking to myself as well. I was like, gosh, of all things, you chose this one. All righty. Well, here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Kind of closing thoughts on Indiana Jones. I would be remiss if we did not mention John Williams and his absolute brilliance. His score adds so much to this film. Like, just can't, oh my gosh, like what a... I don't, I don't even know what to call them. Like a wonderful team of people. Like you got the top notch people as part of this movie. You got Mm -hmm. Spielberg, you got George Lucas, and you got John (laughs) Williams. Like what more could you want in a movie? It's just great. Mm -hmm. And so I think once again, that is what I was the most impressed with. Man, when when that Raiders theme came on, I got Did the, you get the biggest feels? grin on <laughs> my face. I got like all warm and fuzzy inside. It was so good. And his music is just so evocative. It set the tone. It was absolutely perfect. And mm-hmm. oh, it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't him. And they picked the most wonderful scenes to have the Raiders theme swell in full force. Like there's one where 
Indiana's riding on the horse through the desert to go after the Ark of the Covenant and the Nazis. And you just see his silhouette like riding through the desert with the sun beating down on him and the music swelling. And it just gives you all the feels. Like that is pure (laughs) magic. I swear, I feel like John Williams' themes are characters in and of themselves. Like they add so much to the emotional weight of certain moments and the fact that he has chosen those swells or those moments to be used throughout the film sparingly also makes it more impactful. But gosh, like there's a very tender moment. I don't remember the exact moment off the top of my head now, but I do remember noticing the Indiana and Marion theme is playing in a certain moment. I think it was at nighttime. I don't remember where in the film this happens, but it was such a tender moment. And you just hear this soft melody of their, their specific theme. And it was like pure magic, absolutely just pure magic. And I feel that way a lot when the Star Wars themes comes on in the most perfect moments. Like when Luke is looking out at the double sunset in the fourth movie and the Star Wars theme is playing just so beautifully in the background. It's pure magic. Like, ah, oh, it's own character. It's, it's truly its own character. And what a good way to weave a Star Wars reference in. Proud of you. <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> just kidding. There will inevitably be one where we don't, and that will be the Star Wars episode. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we decided that we were going to watch Indiana and you gushed about the music. That was like the first thing that came to your mind. You were like, oh, the music. And I was like, oh, okay, the music. All right. Yep. I am curious now. (laughs) I mean, it's John Williams. You can't go wrong. It's, uh, It's just perfection. Williams, Lucas, and Spielberg. Man. It's the dream team. The trio. Yeah. Plus throw Harrison Ford in there. He was yeah. awesome. Can't yes. go wrong. Mm-mm. Oh, this was such a fun film. I watched this on a Sunday night. After a long day, I was in my bed and I had the most fun for those two hours. Like I was honestly pleasantly surprised. I didn't expect it to be as much fun as it was. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's just, it's such a heartwarming movie, just a good action flick. You're just along for the ride for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is our review of Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you can't tell yet, Sarah and I absolutely love this film. We just about gushed about it for the past hour or so, but there were so many components from a filmmaking perspective and... Um, A lot of interesting themes woven throughout this film, um, but just truly a magical piece of work. We love it. And you can currently watch Raiders on Netflix, uh, so just go ahead and do it. Put it on. Well, if you have an Indiana, if you have a Netflix uh, subscription, but if you do, it's full free, free (laughs) ninety nine. (laughs) <laughs> which is my favorite price let's just be honest yep. <laughs> so 
man, just enjoy it. Put it on. Enjoy the whimsy of it all. See the strategery of everything that they did. It's absolutely well worth it. Mm-hmm. Is this the part where we cue our uh, outro? <gasps> yes. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> Uh, Finish it off, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Have an awesome week, guys. We hope you had fun hanging out with us um, on this episode. And we'll be back soon.